Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and I am so glad that you're here listening to us now. Our Ray of Hope evangelizes through film, music, and events. So this podcast gives us an outlet, a way to tackle some deeper topics and subjects about our faith. Have there been times in your life when you felt disconnected from experiencing joy, when you really should have been happy, or you felt like something was wrong? We're emotional beings, and whatever happens to us, those experiences are part of us for a lifetime. We're so complex that we may have been involved in some psychological trauma or something that happened when we were younger, and we don't even remember it. And that weighs us down. Often we try to seek healing or fill that void in ways that are harmful, which pulls us further away from healing and brings us deeper into a place of unfulfillment or unhappiness, or both. Today, we're going to share with you that healing is possible in a way that will give us true joy and happiness. Dr. Bob Schutz will share with us how we can find healing. So welcome to A Reason for Hope, and here we go. So Dave, how are you? I'm good. Uh, actually, we've had some sickness going through the house, you know, oh. late, late winter stuff. Uh, nothing, nothing too terrible. Nothing but, too crazy. Yeah, but we're we're fine now. Pretty good. Oh, good. Uh, and now, now you you were really sick recently. Um. Well, yeah, I got like a, a bit of a double whammy. I I, I got COVID uh, in the beginning of the year, and then I had kidney stones <sighs> around the same time. <sighs> so uh, that was crazy. I've you know, I've had kidney stones before, but this was my third episode, and it was actually my worst. Uh, so, uh, talk about really uh, relying on God to get over. You got landed in the hospital with that. Yeah, yeah, I was in the hospital a couple of times, offering up my suffering, you know, to members of my family and my friends and, and our work here. Uh, but it was crazy. But I'm good now. I feel better. Awesome. Yeah, you're not one to like miss work, so it's like no, I missed a lot of work. Uh, it was the first time in like 30 years where I missed over a week, unable to work. Uh, well, maybe it was God just telling me, "Look, you got to chill out. You know, you got to. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give you a little illness. For he you knows to, you too to well. You won't, maybe, you won't maybe, chill. maybe. I don't know. You know well, cool. I'm glad you're feeling better, my brother. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. So our topic today is actually about healing. Uh, although we've been sharing the idea of physical healing, when we look at our broken and wounded humanity, there's a need of healing there as well. Mm. Um, so uh, many people don't know the reason we experience sickness, uh, but it is actually due to our fallen nature, original right. sin. Right. So maybe you can kind of uh, share that a little bit with us. Sure. So in the beginning, prior to sin— Human beings existed in a state of grace, mm. and they were given what are called preternatural gifts. Now, preternatural is a is a big word, but basically what that means is that there were gifts given to humanity that human beings wouldn't have had by nature, but creatures that are higher than human beings would have by nature. Mm. So, for example, angels. So, so Adam and Eve were given gifts that only angels had. Um, and so th those things are above what human nature would have typically. 
So part of that was the gift of immortality, for example. They wouldn't die. Uh, Another aspect of that is the gift of impassibility. They would not experience sickness or suffering. Now, the whole reason why we experience sickness and suffering, the reason why we experience death, is because with the fall, with the offense that our first parents made against Almighty God, those preternatural gifts were taken away. Hmm. And so, therefore, our human nature then falls into the corruption it would have typically. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, so it's a punishment of sin that we experience suffering and death. Um, but uh, it's, it's a punishment that is due to the removal of things that we didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, were, they were gifts that were given to us that were beyond what human nature should have. Wow. Wow, it's awesome. Um, you know, our topic today is how can I find healing? And uh, we, we're going to be interviewing uh, Dr. Bob Schutz, a well-known Catholic psychologist. Uh, what do you think, Dave, like where does healing actually come from? Well, first thing is that healing comes from Jesus. The word salvation, the Latin root for salvation is salus. Now, in Latin, us were written as v's. So... Salus actually means wholeness, healing, health. We get the word salve like an ointment you put on a wound from that same word. That's very interesting to me because what it says is that when Jesus saves us, he comes to heal us. Now, healing us or making us whole presumes that there's something that is sick or wounded or broken. So when we talk about Jesus saving us, clearly it means that Jesus has healed our broken relationship with the Father. But even more than that, he has come to heal our broken humanity, Mm. right? This, This experience of disorder and disintegration that we have. He wants to make humanity fully integrated and whole again. And he does that by, first and foremost, restoring grace to us, but, but also by providing um, his special healing power. Now, for human beings, we still experience sickness, right? You, you know this well <laughs> recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, so we still experience sickness and suffering on this side of, of eternity. Mm-hmm. But, but now that, that sickness and suffering, as you mentioned by offering it up for your loved ones, that sickness and suffering can can become saving. It can be redemptive of our own souls and of those that we offer that suffering for. Mm. Um, But eventually in heaven, there is no sickness. There is no suffering. Every tear is wiped away. Yeah. Right? And so ultimately, the healing that Jesus wants to bring to us, even with regards to physical healing, is fulfilled in heaven. Now, there are also special physical healings on earth that people receive. I mean, a place like Lourdes, for example. Right. You know, you look at the grotto and you see all the crutches and wheelchairs and things like that. It just yeah, it's a, amazing. It's a mind-blowing experience. So, it's clear that, that through special gifts that God brings about miraculous healings um, of our physical self. And we have the, the sacrament of, of the anointing of the sick mm-hmm. that, that one of the— 
effects of that could be, if God wills it, actual physical healing. But you know, back to this idea of Jesus coming to save us and that having to do with healing. When Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth at the very beginning of his ministry, you might recall that he read this passage from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and all the people's eyes were fixed on him. And he said, this day, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, it's me. It's me. <laughs> it's Yo, me. It's, it's me. right here. <laughs> it's me. Now, what is that passage about? But how God has come to make all things new. Right. How he's come to restore. How he's come to heal. How he's come to make us whole. Mm-hmm. And this was exhibited in Jesus's ministry uh, across the board. I mean, if you think about the fact of his ministry healing on many levels. I mean, he heals people from demonic possession through his exorcisms, right? He heals people of their sin through his forgiveness of their sins. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a spiritual healing, but there's also physical healings. Yeah. I think about the woman who was suffering for 12 years with a hemorrhage, who said, if I, if I only touch the hem of his garment, then I will be healed. And sure enough, she did. She did. I think of the paralytic where you have the four friends that lower the paralytic through the roof because they can't get at Jesus. And I've often thought about that one because Jesus looks at the paralytic and he sees the faith of his friends and he says, your sins are forgiven. I I imagine the friends like looking down through the hole in the roof saying something like, uh, uh, Great. Uh, that's great, Lord. Forgiveness of sins, great. The legs. Can you do something about his legs? You know, like, because I think they really had hopes for the legs being fixed. Yeah. But there's something interesting there that Jesus is also speaking to, is that what is the kind of healing that's the most important healing? It's the healing in our relationship with God. Mm. It's the spiritual healing that's primary. And in fact, in that passage, it's not until the Pharisees complain about Jesus forgiving the man's sins because only God can forgive sins, which, by the way, nobody disagrees with in the text. But what the problem was is that they got his identity wrong. Mm. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus says to them, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your mat and go home? But to show you, to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic, I, I love, rise, I love, pick up your mat and go home. I love that And then story. his legs are healed too. Yeah. Now, of course, Jesus is saying, you don't think I have the authority to do this is because you don't understand who I am. Mm. That's, that's one of those things where people who say like the synoptic gospels have a low Christology, that somehow in the synoptics, you don't really see Jesus's divinity. You got to look at passages like this. It's a mm. clear statement of, of his divinity that he's making. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but what's, what's key here is that What's primary is the spiritual healing. That it would be better to go through life with bad legs if your soul is right than with good legs and your soul not being right. Mm. Of course, it's best if you have good soul, good legs, mm-hmm. right? Which is where this story ends up. Yeah. But so the kind of healing that Jesus wishes to bring to us is a is a, a total yeah. healing. Yeah. And he offers that to us in some way even now. Mm-hmm. Um 
that he wants to make us whole. In the book of Revelation, he says, behold, I make all things new. I think there's something deep within each and every one of us that longs to be made new, yeah. that longs to be restored, yeah. that cries out for a redeemer, yeah. that cries out like St. Peter, who's drowning after he, he loses faith walking on the water. Lord, save me. Mm -hmm. Heal me. Mm -hmm. Make me whole. Mm -hmm. One of the other areas where um, our preternatural state was emboldened by something beyond what is typically human powers is uh, with regards to the control of the passions. And this is a place where we experience a lot of disorder due to our fallen nature. Um, <clears throat> because our passions, our senses, those drives that we have in us, we're supposed to be always governed by our intellect. And so to have complete control of the passions meant that the passions didn't control you, that Adam and Eve didn't experience prior to the fall, this experience that we often have, which is where our, our senses and our instincts and our drives almost seem to overwhelm us and take control and maybe even overcome our reason, mm -hmm. right? And so that's another area where we need to experience wholeness and healing is that by God's grace through Jesus, we can experience a quelling of our passions, that, that, that our whole person that has been put out of order by sin can now be reordered. It's as if when we lost God's grace, the glue that held our nature together kind of went away. Mm -hmm. And now the nature just falls apart and everything is, is out of whack. Yet it's, it's the restoration of sanctifying grace and the other graces we receive, like through the sacraments and the like, through prayer, that actually help to reorder us. And that's the, that's the great work of sanctification. It's great. Uh, great reflection, Dave. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's so important. I mean, we're all broken. You know, we all seek uh, to be healed, whether we realize it or not. I think that many of us go through life thinking that we're okay, but deep down inside, we're longing for that wholeness to be united with God. And I think um, you made some great points, and and uh, Dr. Bob Schutz is is going to share some of those points in in this interview as well. Oh, so it's really it's really great. Well, thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks for your insights. You're welcome. Hey guys, it's Mariama here for Who's That Saint, where I give you three clues on one saint for you to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? So, let's get started. Clue one. Born in Florence, Italy on July 21st, 1515, this saint spent much of his life as a layman. However, he eventually became a priest at the age of 36 years old after being convinced to do so by his confessor. Who's that saint? I think I gave you guys a really good clue, so if you don't have it by clue number one, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> clue two. Gifted in many ways, but especially with the talent of captivating others and connecting with people, and by recognizing the great need of the people of Rome, 
who had lost its love for Christ, this saint would go out into the streets, engaging people in conversation and calling them to conversion through relationship. He was often surrounded by crowds of people where he would teach them about the saints, the martyrs, and the truths of our Catholic faith. Who's that saint? Clue three. In 1544, this saint had a mystical experience in which he saw what appeared to be a globe on fire. The fire entered his mouth, which led his heart to dilate. This fire of divine love was so overwhelming that he cried out, Enough, enough, Lord, I can bear no more. This saint's heart remained enlarged for the rest of his life. And this was confirmed in an autopsy where they found two of his ribs broken from the enlargement of his heart. All right, that's the final clue. Who's that saint? If you guessed St. Philip Neri, then you are right. As someone who loves people and is quite extroverted myself, I've always been interested in the life of St. Philip, who balanced a profound interior life and community life so well. The story of his enlarged heart is also so fascinating to me. I think we all experience a swelling of the heart whenever we experience love. It's almost unexplainable. Friendships, new babies, new romantic relationships can all stoke in us this flame of love. However, like St. Philip Neri, we are made to be engulfed by the divine love of Christ, who knows us, loves us, and died for us. If only we would just let him in. Today, let us pray through the intercession of St. Philip Neri for a greater capacity to receive God's love, understand God's love, and give God's love so that we can bestow the gift of Christ's love to others. St. Philip Neri, pray for us. Hey everybody, we got some exciting news. We have a whole new Array of Hope app and channel, a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to God. This is available on your desktop, Roku, Apple TV, iPhones, and Android mobile phones and tablets. This channel has movies, short, faith-filled segments, live events, and programs. You've got to check it out. Sign up by going to watch.arrayofhope.net and then download the app at the App Store by just typing in Array of Hope. Dr. Bob Schutz is the founder of the St. John Paul II Healing Center and is a nationally renowned speaker throughout North America and overseas. Bob is the author of Be Healed, Encountering the Powerful Love of Jesus in Your Life, and Be Transformed, The Healing Power of the Sacraments. Bob has also contributed to numerous publications and has published resources available through the center. Bob has spent more than 30 years as a therapist while also teaching graduate and undergraduate courses in marriage and family relationships, human development, applied psychology, and marriage and family therapy. He has also taught courses at the Theology of the Body Institute and the Augustine Institute. Please welcome Dr. Bob Schutz. Bob, pleasure to meet you. How you doing? 
I'm good, Mario. Good to meet you too. Yeah, it's great. So I'm excited to ask you, you know, about your life and about your apostolate and your work in the church. But what I like to do when I start these interviews is I like to go on the ground floor, uh, the very beginning. So tell me a little bit about yourself when you were a kid. Um, were you raised Catholic? Uh, you know, what was your life like, you know, early years? I mean, talking about, you know, when you're, you know, in kindergarten and really growing up. I was one of those kids that didn't go to kindergarten, but I'll start before that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I, I was, uh, I'm the second oldest of seven children, uh, Catholic family, a couple generations of Catholics before that. Uh, and my parents were actually pretty involved in, in their faith early on and um, went to Catholic schools when I was uh First grade, first grade up into up and through high school, mm-hmm. and then college. I went to secular, mm-hmm. but uh, very happy early part of life. You know, mm-hmm. just parents very involved in big extended family. My mom's family had eight children. And, wow! Uh, so we had seven, and they had eight, and so it was just being with the, with them and uh, in that kind of community, uh, faith was just kind of a natural part of life. I remember having priests over at the house, my grandparents' house and our house, and uh, seminarians and uh, an organization called Christian Family Movement. Mm-hmm. And all of that was uh, just kind of a natural part of life, being in a Catholic school with religious sisters. And I don't have any uh, bad nun stories. They were all <laughs> good, uh, caring religious sisters. And uh, so the, the whole experience for those first years of my life are, are relatively very positive. Great, great. Well, I hope I don't, I'm not going to make you uncomfortable on the very second question, but I know that, you, uh, you know, you I, yeah. I tried to do my due diligence on you and, and yeah. read up on you and, and, and understand why you do what you do. And, and it, it sounds like, you know, when you were 14, you know, you had some trauma, you had some circumstances where uh, unexpectedly your, your father left, uh, the home, which was seemingly a, a very uh, beautiful, you know, ordinary Catholic family, right? And then, and then your brother left. So I know that established a, a change in you. Maybe you could share with our viewers and our listeners, you know, what that was like for you. Yeah, we, we started to feel some friction probably when I was about 11, and it culminated when I was 14, uh, when my dad left. And we found out that he was having an affair and then actually started another family. So it was shocking because he was uh i used to sit next to him at mass and we'd wow. go home on the way way home and he'd ask me about the homily so it was just so out of character to the man that i knew mm. and i think that was the biggest shock is from a place of trusting i mean he he was my coach he was a, a good loving father and he seemed to be a loving husband to my mother and Whatever happened, and one of the things that happened is his parents died when I was around six. And it was a sudden death, and he had a lot of unresolved issues. And it seemed like that really put him into trauma. Mm. And he started running from intimacy and, you know, running from family in his heart to to be with my mom or to be away from my mom and to be uh, with that away from us. And then uh, my brother Dave started taking drugs probably... Uh, lighter drugs early on, probably seventh, eighth grades, but 
by the time he was 16, he was a heroin addict. So oh actually lost both of them. Dave didn't die at that point, but he was just out on the streets. And so mm. it lost both of them at the same time. So um, where was God, uh, you, know, in, in, you know, in your life at that moment? Was that the first sort of realization that you needed God? Or you, were you calling out to God? Or were you really too young to understand, you know, the relationship that you potentially could have with God? Or where were you regarding your faith at that moment? Yeah. I always had a relationship with God, but I didn't realize how much that impacted my trust in Him. You know, because my faith life and my family life were so to totally tied together, and, uh, you know, my dad and my mom being the teachers of faith along with the school, it was uh, just unstabilizing, I, I think is the best word for it, and, and shocking. And so, Without realizing, I still was practicing my faith, but my heart was in a s state of self-protection and self-reliance. Mm. And so I, I went from trust to not trust. Mm. And it took, took me a lot of years to really see that, the effect of that. You know, I was pretty much blind to it at the time. So I was still praying and, and all of that, but I, I still felt this uh, sense I've got to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, was there a, a time that you can recall, a, a pivotal moment where uh, that you actually felt God embrace you, hold you, or a sense that, you know, God is real and, and I, I, you know, this is the one thing that I can really rely on and trust on? Was there a moment that you can recall? Yeah, it was actually about 20 years later, and I was the wow. same age as, as my dad when he left. Oh, my. Wow. And, okay. Uh, and I, again, I was practicing my faith, and it was real to me, but in terms of that intimate relationship with God. Uh, it was on a retreat weekend, and I went into the weekend, and I said, God, I need to know that you're real in a way that I've never known before. And uh, without going into the whole story, there was just, in the middle of the night, I actually had a lot of desolation that day, but in the middle of the night with a group of friends, we were praising God, and I had what I, I felt like was just this explosion of grace uh, coming up from inside of my heart, and I uh, just knew God's reality, and I knew His love. I knew His presence in that moment. That was just overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly positive, and life changing. I mean, it was really a, a, a key moment in my life, and uh, I was also at that point struggling some in my own marriage, and was able to go home and and see my wife and love her with a heart that I didn't know that was incapacitated uh, at that level. I guess I'd come to know that in those couple of years, I was starting to struggle a lot before that experience. So that, that was really life-changing. I mean, that's beautiful. And uh, it, it's amazing that it, it took 20 years later, I mean, in God's time, right? But uh, did he come at a time where you, you got, I guess you needed healing or was, I guess so, you really asked him that you needed to, you know, you needed to affirm that he was real, that you really needed him at that moment, right? Yeah, I, I, I I really felt like I was fine. I was practicing as a therapist and as a professor, and I really thought I was doing fine, except for I started having panic. Uh, and it was coming up in different situations related to my marriage, but also related to just getting up and publicly speaking. And that's what drove me into therapy several years beforehand. And it was the therapy that led me to realize that there were wounds that were back there that I hadn't dealt with. And that became a really trying season. And in that, I was calling out to God a lot 
realizing my need for him and that I had been in this state of just kind of self-protection. And it was uh, over a couple years that this experience happened uh, after I started that whole process, or actor, actually after he started that whole process of uncovering all that uh, for me. That's awesome. So you are a well-known Catholic psychologist. You've become especially known for the way that you synthesize the teachings of St. John Paul II in his theology of the body with the best current psychological research and practices. Tell us a little bit about the key points in connection between the theology of the body and psychology and how the theology of the body enriches and maybe even corrects contemporary psychology. Yeah, great question. Uh, I began to discover St. John Paul II probably in the middle of that conversion. And, uh, you know, I was a marriage and family therapist and a teacher of marriage and therapy. And reading his writings on marriage and family, it was, it was like everything that I had learned but was incomplete. It just kind of came together and integrated with Scripture and integrated with church teaching. And his theology of the body especially just... Uh, one of the things that psychology lacks, I believe, is a comprehensive view of the human person and what mm. we're created for. Right. And John Paul II, as a philosopher and as a theologian, took the whole of Scripture mm -hmm. and created from Genesis to Revelation what is, what is the dignity of man and woman and what's the nature of our relationship and What's the effect of sin, and then how has Christ redeemed that? And so, to me, it's the the framework that psychology can't provide, mm. uh, because psychology, which is the study of the soul, without God in it, becomes very self-focused mm -hmm. uh, and becomes focused on, you know, just what I've been, how I've been living, which is how do I take care of myself, how do I heal myself, and um, you know, or with other people and it becomes humanistic in some sense without that centering in Christ. And so what the theology of the body did is it centered everything that I'd learned in Christ and then integrated both the teaching of the church and all that I'd been seeing and learning in my practice. Wow. That's great. I mean, our, our topic today is actually, how can I find healing? Uh, can you discuss why we even need healing at all? Even if we feel that we don't need it? Yeah, we 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 have a we have a conference called the Healing the Whole Person, and in the very beginning, we address that question, and uh, we actually start with an image, and it's an image of Adam and Eve before the fall, and to think about uh, their presence with the Trinity, they didn't need any healing there, but as soon as they separate, as soon as they're deceived and separate from the Trinity. Mm. Uh, and, and we actually do this in demonstration and let people experience what this feels like. And everyone in the room can feel it. Going from the security and the sense of being loved and being uh, protected. And it's a lot of what I experienced when my parents divorced. And, and the, kind of this ripping apart of that trust and the separation not only from God but from each other that happens at that point. Because you can't have any more intimacy with another person, real intimacy in truth than you have with God. And so right. everybody in the room at that point can feel, okay, this is this is what my life has struggled with from the very beginning. And we say if you if you think 
that you don't need healing. You haven't faced the fact uh, that we were born into a world of separation rather than a world of communion. And so it just seems normal to you mm. to live in the way that we live. But the reality is that all of us long for that communion. It's the deepest longing mm. that any of us have. And all of us know what it feels like to be alone or to feel rejected or to have shame, uh, to feel helpless, to feel hopeless. You know, those are human conditions. And as we uh, begin to pay attention to those, we recognize that the origin of that is being cut off from God, let alone all of our brokenness in relationships. That's awesome. Uh, are there more areas where you think that theology of the body really uh, show, shows us the need for healing and, and where the areas of, of, of weakness, as, as, as you said, we need, we're, we're in need of communion, but most of us don't realize that, right? We're, that's really yeah. a pretty powerful thing that you just said, that we're born into uh, a, a, the lack of communion, right? Uh, separation. Yeah. It's, I never yeah. even thought about it like that. It's pretty prolific. Yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it takes all of our individual woundedness and puts it into a bigger context and, and then allows us to see that we're not, our experiences may be different, but we have a common experience that's that's really very similar. Um, yeah, other areas of healing, you know, one of the things John Paul II talks a lot about is our identity as man and woman. And, you know, if... Of course. Yeah. Anybody looks at our culture right now, yeah. we see that that's just a mess, yeah. you know, and uh, and it was the woundedness in those relationships uh, of being a man and being a woman that created the mess that we're in, but it's been there for, from the very beginning. Uh, it's been there where there's a brokenness, you know, you go back to Adam and Eve, and after the fall, Adam now has to deal with inadequacy, where he had dominion before that. And Eve, mm. who was created for relationship, now is living in separation and, mm. and cut off and in, and in suffering. And and so, and then man dominates woman and uses her. Uh, and so this goes back to the beginning of time. And the problem is the human solutions to that, the world solutions to that, just create more problems. You know, the any anything problem we try to solve without Jesus being at the center of that just creates a whole new set of problems. So, you know, like the woman's movement that started out on the basis of Christianity mm -hmm. and, you know, really a Catholic vision of, of the dignity of both man and woman now becomes this self-assertion that has its own errors. You know, the same thing with, you know, uh, the movements related to, uh, gender identity and, and sexual orientation. You know, it's they're real problems, but the world's solution for those problems creates a whole other set of problems. And so yeah. we, we need, as a culture, incredible healing. And that's what the theology of the body, I think, is, is that revelation of what relationship should be, what life should be like in Christ. And psychology can be, become blind to that. You know, psychology can, can be seduced by the culture and so we have now a lot of psychological societies and organizations uh, embracing the ideology of the culture when it's really not healing. It's, it's, it's really the opposite of healing. Mm. Um, you started the St. John Paul II Healing Center. Tell us a little bit about that, it, you know, its mission uh, and, and how you're serving the church and really serving, you know, the culture. Yeah, I didn't set up to start a ministry of any kind, but uh, as, a, as a therapist and as a teacher, I began to 
teach in an interdenominational uh, ministry school and then began to do conferences around the country, including at the Theology of the Body Institute and working with seminarians. And it was kind of all of that work together, helping with marriages, uh, working in the formation of, of priests and religious. And it was that coming together of all of those that uh, people saw that this was a need and it was much more than just something I could do on my own. It was something we as a as a whole ministry and mission uh, and, you know, it way beyond us. It's, it's, it's something the whole culture needs. And so it was a gradual process of feeling called to move from working with individuals and teaching in classrooms and individual conferences to be able to bring this all together for the church. So now we work with bishops and priests and religious communities, married couples, families, uh, individuals of all kinds of backgrounds, church ministries, lay ministers, uh, you know, just the whole church. That's, that's beautiful. And, and it goes back to what you said a bit earlier, it, just to identify to all of us that we need healing, whether we realize it or not. And, and uh, we feel things uh, that we don't understand. We experience emotions that we often, uh, you know, uh, put on a shelf or disregard or, uh, you know, not look at. And uh, that psychologically is harmful to us, right? It, it, it doesn't yeah. move us in the direction of healing. Um, and one of the things I wanted to even talk to you about, you know, especially, you know, I've noticed it, you know, I have a young teenage girl and uh, she, um, you know, she's been separated from her friends because of the pandemic. And I'm noticing that with young kids, there's depression, there's anxiety. Um, can you speak to that and, and how we could help that generation, uh, you know, recognize uh, a way to healing? Yeah, I, I think the pandemic has really opened up the need for healing and an awareness. I mean, we're finding at our conferences that people are coming so much more hungry and ready to enter into it because everybody's aware now of, it's like all of our normal uh, ways of coping have been taken away. And just that uh, sense of this emotion, this pain is coming up or this emptiness or this loneliness is coming up or depression, any of those things, anxiety. And, uh, you know, what we talk about in the conferences uh, based on scripture and the teaching of John Paul II is it's only love that heals. Um, there's a commentary from uh, Pope Benedict XVI in Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, anyone who wishes to heal man must see him first in his wholeness mm -hmm. and recognize that his only healing can come from God's love. And so that's really the mission of the church and the mission of the family. But we have a broken church and a broken family too. So how are we going to, if we don't as a church heal and as a family heal, mm. and heal in marriages, heal in the priesthood here, bishops heal the religious, how are we sure. going to then take care of the teenagers? You know, because these teenagers are not just growing up in a culture that's in disarray and confusion, but they're growing up in broken families and in a church that, you know, they can't even go to church during the pandemic. You know, it's uh, not even able to go to school or, or have you know, all the social interactions are now over the phone. So th there's all these ways in which the fracturing of that kind of communal love, that kind of uh, security that comes from, from being known and loved and cared for. And, and that's really the heart of it. You know, more than 
sending them to therapy or uh, having programs for them. It's just being able to see that a whole mission of our church is to create that kind of uh, community, a living community, communion in Christ that, that brings healing. And then from there, have the ears to hear the pain, you know, because we've dressed our own pain. Mm -hmm. And when we've lived in a culture and we've just ignored our own pain, then we see the pain around us and we just, mm -hmm. you know, want to give advice or, you know, give pills to get people to overcome it or something like mm -hmm. that, rather than recognize that the deepest need mm -hmm. is for that sense of being known and being seen and being loved uh, and uh, walked with in, in those ways. Yeah. This leads me to a question is that, you know, how do parents today or, um, you know, uh, people that just want to help one another that might be distanced from their faith or their understanding of God or even, you know, uh, angry at the Catholic Church, how do you heal someone or how do you inform them and say, look, you know, you have to bring God into it or it's really difficult to heal, but you don't want to offend them. You don't want them to posture themselves in a way that, you know, is confrontational. Uh, this is sort of like a question that the Holy Spirit is asking me to ask you, because I know there are yeah. going to be listeners that are going to want that, understand how to do that. Because there's people that we want to talk to and counsel that are suffering and that, that need healing, but uh, there's that wall between us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Good, great question, and we run into it all the time. Uh, so what I love about John Paul II is, as a philosopher, he was what was called a phenomenologist. And that meant mm. that he paid attention to people's interior experience. Oh, wow. And one of, that was one of the things as a therapist that really awakened me to uh, his teaching. And he, and he said, if we'll go deep enough into the heart the truths that we come to discover in our hearts match completely with the truths of the teaching of the church. And I have found that to be true. So uh, one of the things in the catechism says, the desire for God is written into the human heart. Mm. Every person is searching for love. Yes. yes. Every person is searching for truth at yeah. some level. They may yeah. have closed it off. Yes. And, you know, as the catechism in the scripture says, God is love and truth. Yeah. Right? God is the fullness of truth. And God is the fullness of love. Mm -hmm. And so all we need to do, we don't need to have people come to where we are in terms of what we believe. That, that can be imposition and push away. As you said, the walls come up. But we need to start with people where their hearts are and begin to explore what is the, what is the longing of the heart. And, and if they start with the areas where they're struggling, the struggles reveal desires. And those desires, whether the person recognizes God in them or not, is always oriented towards communion, towards truth, towards trust, towards finding people. You know, we may not feel capable of loving well when we're, when we're in a, a situation where we're struggling, but every one of us longs for that kind of love. You know, every one of us longs for that kind of faithful love, that kind of consistent love, that kind of pure love. Yeah. Uh, Nobody wants to be used. Nobody wants to be deceived. Nobody wants to be betrayed. Yeah. And so I think if we start there in, in the heart of somebody and just allow them to journey in that self-discovery, they're going to come to a point of feeling, yeah, this is what I'm looking for. Yeah. That's, and then we can share that. It's incredible. Uh, it's amazing. You know, every time I speak to someone like you and I discover new things about St. John Paul, I'm just 
yeah. amazed on how, how amazingly gifted this man was. And he's it, incredible. His, it, incredible. He's like a modern yeah. day, what would you call him? Maybe a saint. Huh? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I wish, yeah but in, in such a way that we needed it in our, our century. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Really great. So, uh, Dr. Robert, uh, Bob, it was so great <laughs> to uh, spend some time with you. It's been a real pleasure to get to know you a little bit better. Um, is there anything that you want to share with our viewers and listeners that maybe uh, you want to let them know about? Um. Well, one, thank you for the ministry that you're doing, and, and you're really reaching people uh, through the arts and, and entertainment. That's that's a beautiful way to do that. Thank you. Um, on our end, uh, if people are interested in, there's, there's a lot of books uh, on our website, John Paul II Healing Center. There's a podcast uh, that people can kind of follow along, uh, and it's uh, restoretheglorypodcast.com. Mm -hmm. uh, as, a, as a free resource. Great. We have conferences, and our conferences now are virtual, so people all over the world can attend the conferences. Awesome. And, and what is your website again? Uh, John Paul II Healing Center. So it's jpiihealingcenter.org. We'll make sure to display it on the bottom of the screen there. Well, listen, thank okay. you so much, Bob. It's been a pleasure being with you, and God bless you and your organization. Yeah. Let's continue to pray for one another. Yeah, thank you, Mario. Keep okay. up the good work. Peace. Peace. Bye. Well, we've come to the end of this podcast, and I'm so glad that you join us for this episode. I want to remind you to share this podcast with as many people as you can. The more people who know about this, the more souls Jesus can save. I want to thank our donors and our supporters. And if you've been blessed by our work in this podcast, please give back by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. Our social media team keeps us connected with our faith through music, videos, and daily reflections. There's a lot of great stuff up there to share, and you guys should check it out. We also pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet on Instagram daily at 3 p.m. So please join us as we all pray together as a universal church. Lastly, go to the Array of Hope channel and see when our next Rise Up Live show will air. It's a Catholic variety show of sorts. Our guest next time will be Jesuit priest, Father Robert Spitzer, and the theme will be on, Can Faith and Science Be Friends? That is an interesting question. You got to check that out. So thanks a lot for joining us today, and there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Peace.